Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. And what a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. Because according to the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 12, some of you know where I'm going. For there is but one name under heaven given among men by which we're saved. And what a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus. Amen. John chapter 4, verse 31. That's when people get saved. We've been on uh, a few weeks studying on evangelism and discipleship in this small series that we've been doing here in the month of February. Uh, We'll probably take it into the first week of March together. Uh, But the idea has been this focus on evangelism and discipleship. Why? Can't have one without the other. And the simple fact of the matter is this, church, the biggest thing missing in the bride of Christ today is not fellowship meals. The biggest thing missing in the bride of Christ today, I'm talking about the church, the biggest thing missing in the church today is not a program. The biggest thing missing in the church today is not an expanded parking lot. It's not a new building. It's not a children's ministry. It's not a youth ministry. It's not a recovery program. It's not any of those things. The biggest thing missing in the bride of Christ today is a white, hot passion to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody. That's what's missing from the church today. Guys, we have more at our disposal than we've ever had in in all of history. My goodness gracious, do you realize that this very morning as we sit here at 5745 Old Murfreesboro Road East in Lebanon, Tennessee in the zip code of 37090, that at this very time as we gather this very morning singing these very songs to this very God, somebody is joining us via a live stream in Indiana, Alabama, California, people, we have hundreds of people every week watch the light. Can you imagine if you would have told some of the forefathers of this church that there would be a time that at the same time they worshiped here, people would worship with them across the country. They'd have said, there's no way you've lost your mind. But it's happening right now. Uh, This very time, all across the world even, we have people from other countries that listen to our very series and our very sermons. And so the fact is we're not missing ability or or technology or advancement or any of these things. we got more of that than we've ever had. What we're missing is a passion. What we're missing is a passion to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, 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 That moment where we realize that we don't just want to see the gospel shared because we want to, right? We want to. There's not one among us who would say, well, no, I'd really rather not see the gospel of Jesus Christ shared. None of us would say that. We would all want to see the gospel shared. But too often we have this thought that somebody else will do it. It's somebody else's job. It's somebody else's place. Somebody else is going to get it done. Surely the preacher will do it. Surely the music man will do it. Surely the singers will do it. Surely the Sunday school teachers will do it. Surely somebody else will do it. But the fact of the matter is, God called you to do it. God called Did he call me to do it? Absolutely. Did he call Brother Ligon? Absolutely. Katie? Absolutely. Sunday school teachers? Absolutely. But everybody else? Absolutely. Why? Because he said, if you're saved, you're part of a royal priesthood. You've been called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Quite often in Scripture, the example of farming is used to relate to evangelism. Now, now God uses several examples, but he uses farming quite often. And I am not a farmer by any means. 
at all. I don't even own a pair of overalls. I used to, but I outgrowed them. Or they shrunk, one or the other. Something happened. And so I can't even be a good farmer. I'm not a good farmer. I don't know how to be a good farmer. But one thing I've learned from having a garden the last couple of years from the School of Hard Knocks is if you don't work your harvest, if you don't get out there and work your harvest, if you don't work your fields, if you don't take care of them, weeds and animals and bugs and all kinds of stuff will take over your garden. Amen? Any other gardeners out here have that struggle? I mean, you ain't got to miss many days working your field before the weeds will come in and choke it out, before all these things will be going on. And the next thing you know, you got to sort through the thistles to get to your watermelons. I may know from experience. Do you know the same is applicable when it comes to the, to the gardening out there? God calls us to sow the seeds. What does he call us to do? Sow the seeds. Sow the seeds. Does God call us to inspect the soil? Absolutely not. Does God call us to pick and choose? No, God says, sow the seeds. In fact, we should have a confidence because God says, if you will continue to sow the seeds, I will continue to reap the harvest. In fact, he said, I'm going to reap the harvest, and the method by which I'm going to do it is you're going to sow, sow the seeds. That's what God said the plan was, is that we would share the gospel and he would reap the harvest. Listen, it is, listen. Too many times we put too much focus on what we're capable of doing. Can I let you in on a little secret? You can't save nobody. You can't save nobody. I can't save nobody. Thank goodness that God didn't make the ability to save people ours. Because I have messed up enough in my life to know that if somebody's eternal security rested and whether or not I said or did the right thing at the right time, they would be doomed. But praise God. He said salvation is mine. The harvest is mine. Your job is to sow the seeds. And even if you don't sow the seed exactly the right way, I can still reap a harvest. But you got to sow the seed. That's what God called us to do. Now what happens? What happens to us? Listen, I understand it. I got four youngins. One of them plays sports. One of them plays saxophone. One of them does dance. And the other one does it all. She's two. Right? And between all the running and the going and the cooking and the cleaning and the laundry and some of you caring for an elderly parent, caring for somebody that's sick and running here and there and hither, tour and everywhere between the booster club and the beta club and the glee club and the parent-teacher conference and the homework and the schoolwork and the work work, right? Because we got to do the work work to be able to afford to do any of the other stuff in the first place. And between it all, we sit there going and suddenly we look up and the grass needs mowing and the siding needs washing and the tires need fixing and the transmission oil needs changing and all of these things need to happen we look around and we say I ain't got time to share Jesus I ain't got time to go and do none of these things but can I tell you something in the process of living your life when do you work your harvest when do you work your harvest when do you schedule time to go out and share Jesus because guess one thing I figured out you do what you make time to do you do what you make time to do. You know what? I don't go to the gym like I used to, but it ain't because I ain't got time. It's because I ain't got enough desire to make time because when I wanted to go bad enough, I got up at 5 o'clock in the morning and went. Nobody has requested counseling at 5 o'clock in the morning yet. So I still got time to go. Right? It's not that time got less. It's that desire got less. 
It's not that you don't have time. It's that you don't make time and you don't prioritize sharing Jesus above all other things. When at the end of the day, what the God and Lord of all creation called you to do ought to take precedent over all that other stuff. In fact, if you let it take precedent over all that other stuff, I believe you'll find that you can share Jesus while you change your tires and while you go to the booster club and while you go to the PTA meeting. But it's got to become a priority in your life. I believe that Jesus here in our text is asking his disciples here and he's asking us this morning this question, when do you take time to work the fields? When do you take time to work them? So I want to ask you now if you're able to stand in honor and reverence for the reading of the Holy Word of God from John chapter 4. And we'll start in verse 31. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have no food to eat of which you do not, I have food to eat of which you do not know. And therefore the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say, therefore, there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields, for they are already white for the harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. Let's pray. Father God. Father, even now, we are keenly aware that we need a word from you, Father. That, Father, if anything's going to happen in this place this morning, it's going to be because you made it. So, Father, as we gather, would you bind any devil, any demon? Father, any thought, any spirit that's here, that's not captive of your Holy Spirit, would you remove it at this time that we would be a people focused on lifting up your holy name because it is a wonderful, powerful name worth worshiping God. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all things. And it is in your precious name that we pray, Jesus. As all God's people said, amen. Please be seated. This morning we're going to be looking at the passion that we have to have if we're going to share the gospel of Jesus. We're going to have to have a passion if we're going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I've told this story before, but it's been, it's been a couple of years, and I think it fits so well right here. But I'm reminded of a story that I once heard about a young preacher who went over to a mentor's house. He was young in the ministry, and he had an older mentor, and that mentor was known for soul winning. He was known for sharing the gospel everywhere. He was known for having a lot of converts in everywhere he went. And so this young preacher goes to his house because he decides, if I'm going to be a preacher, I need to learn from this other preacher. I'm going to figure out what he's doing that I'm not. And when he gets there, he said, he said Pastor, I want to know, how, how is it that so many people come to know Christ when they're around you? And he invited the young man in, and he said, I want you to have a seat at my table. And the young preacher sat at the table, and he said, now I want you to put your elbows on the table. And I want you to place your face in your hands. You see the posture he put him in? He said, now close your eyes and start to say the name of every lost person you know. And after some time, the young preacher looked up and the pastor just put his hand on the back of his head and said, no, not yet. Three more times, the young preacher did this and the old pastor would just gently push his head back into his hands. And he said, you don't look up. 
until the tears begin to flow from your eyes for those lost people whose name you're uttering. And there's where you'll find the secret to seeing souls one for Christ. That young preacher's name was John Knox. Look up John Knox sometime. Because when he got up from that table, his testimony is this. When he got up from the table, he said, Give me Scotland for Jesus or take my life. Church, I'm saying this morning that the point in time when this community, when the Rocky Valley community, when your neighborhood, when this county, when the Southern Baptist Convention, the Tennessee Baptist Convention, when, when, when your friends, when your family, when your workplace, I'm going to tell you this, when, when, when all of those things are going to come to a point where there's an explosion of Jesus, it's going to start when you have such a passion for them that the tears from your eyes stain the altar of your house and the altar of this church and we stand up and rise and say give me Lebanon for Jesus or take my life give me my family for Jesus or take my life give me my friends for Jesus or take my life in other words my life is going to be lived to proclaim the name of Christ let me die trying to share him with somebody that means he sharing his gospel is more important than my sleep. It's more important than my eats. It's more important than all of these other things that come and get in the way. Give me my family for Jesus if we just start there. How about this church in light of what we've been doing this month? Give me my one for Jesus or let me die. Have you pursued your one with that kind of passion? How many tears have you shed for their salvation so far this month? There's a passion we have to sense. The first thing we're going to see about it is that when we're passionate for about souls being saved, there'll be a passion inside of us for the Word of God. Psalms 126 verse 5 says, Those who sow in tears reap with joyful shouting. And I wonder if too often our sowing is ineffective because we haven't watered the seed of the gospel with our tears. We have to have a burden for Jesus and a burden for sharing Jesus. You know what we don't need? We don't need more intelligence. We don't need another program. We don't need some far-fangled new method. We need a passion for the Word of God and to obey the Word of God. We need an internal motivation because when that happens, we yearn for the Word of God in our lives. It's one of the ways that we know that we're drawing nearer to God as we start to hunger for more about God and we start to do what God commands us to do. Look at verses 31 and 32. He says, His disciples urged Him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But He said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. You see, while they were busying themselves with lunch, they were busying themselves with food. Jesus was busying himself with spiritual matters. Jesus was busying himself sharing his love with another woman. You remember the story from last week? The Samaritan woman at the well. This is the follow-up to that story. In other words, Jesus last week was at the well, and we said that he was there with the woman intentionally at that time and that his disciples had gone to find something to eat. They're on their way back. They went and got lunch, and now they've come back to the well. You know, they ain't even noticed that there's a woman there that just got saved. 
They ain't even noticed that there's a woman there at all. They've come back and they're so focused on their rabbi and getting back to their rabbi and bringing their lunch back to the rabbi that they're not even looking around. And Jesus had been there focused on something eternal. And they come up and they say, hey, 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 we need you to eat, Jesus. We're going to take care of you, Jesus. We have sustenance for you, Jesus. You remember when Jesus was tempted by Satan, though? You remember what he said when Satan tried to tempt him with bread after, after all the days of fasting? He said, man cannot live by bread alone, but the word of God. Jesus has, Jesus has been alluding to it the whole time. Can I tell you something? When we take soul winning as seriously as we do eating, we're going to see a tremendous harvest. Let me say that again. When we take soul winning as serious as we do eating, we're going to have a tremendous harvest. I'm going to say this. If most of us focused on eating the same way that we do soul winning, we wouldn't have enough nutrition to get out of bed. Likewise, if we focused on soul winning with the same regularity that we do eating, we'd have to have three services and two new buildings to house everybody. Now you can look at me and tell I eat. What if I got just as passionate about sharing the gospel of Jesus as I do about supper? That's a silly example, right? No, not really. Can I tell you something? There was a night this week. We don't have a lot of nights at home during ball seasons and all of these other things going on and church night and here and all this stuff running everywhere. We had a night at home. Do you know that I think approximately there were 1,114 text messages between me and my wife, two trips to the grocery store, and at least two hours trying to figure out what we were going to eat for supper? <laughs> Why? Because we had this night at home, and we needed that supper to be exactly right because we was passionate about the dinner that we were going to eat. I'm sad to say that my wife and I have a lot of text messages that we send to each other, but I can't remember the last one that I sent to her about sharing Jesus with somebody. I can't remember the last time that I sent her a message and said, hey, pray that a door opens for me to share the gospel with this young man. Pray that something happens that allows me to, to have an opportunity to share the gospel with this person, and yet we'll text for two hours about dinner. My friends, yeah, that's a silly example, but it's absolutely true. I want you to notice something else. Lunch isn't bad, is it? Like Jesus doesn't point out something bad. It would be really easy if the, if, if the word of God said, and the disciples came back and they were liquored up and hammered. If the disciples came back and they'd been out on a drug run. The disciples came back carrying all of the bounty from the, from the thieving that they had just done. It'd be real easy for Jesus to say, you got to stop doing all these bad things and start sharing Jesus. No, it says they came back with lunch. They came back with lunch. That's not a bad thing, is it? I hope not. I like to eat lunch. Lunch is not a bad thing. I can tell you this. I have never, in all of my years in ministry, in all my years in the church, I've never gone to somebody to share the gospel with them and had them say, listen, I would love to come to church over at Rocky Valley, but I can't. Them people over there eat lunch. Even the world knows that lunch isn't bad. 
Lunch is not a bad thing. Jesus doesn't use some terrible temporal pleasure. He doesn't use some example of all of those things. He says, listen, I have food to eat of which you do not know. I've got to focus on the word of my father. I got to be focused on the word of my father. I can't be focused on something simple and silly like lunch. I got to do what needs to be done right now. And I'm going to tell you this, church, this is a reminder of us that sometimes the things that come between us and being obedient to the word of God is not a bad thing, but a good thing. Sometimes the very thing that hinders us from doing what we're supposed to do is doing what we're supposed to do. Let me say it to you this way. Sometimes the thing that stops me from reaching out to somebody for an opportunity to sit down with them and share the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to my son's ball game. Is it bad to go to my son's ball game? Of course not. Is it bad if I have more passion for my son's ball game than I do the word of God? Of course. And I love watching my kid play ball. Dreamt of it my whole life. But if I have more passion for that than I do the word of God, then my priorities are mixed up and out of order. Not only will we see the word of God evident in our lives when we have a passion, but we'll also see the will of God become passionate in our lives. He says what? My food, my meat, is to do the will of him who sent me? My meat is to do the will of God. My meat is to do the will of the Father. Listen, I have food to eat. I'm focusing on the word of my Father. And, and when I focus on the word of my Father, then I become focused on the will of my Father. You see how that goes? When you become focused on the word, then you become focused on the will of the word, right? It's hard to know the will of the word if you don't know the word, right? So we got to focus on the word, and then it becomes evident in the will. Can I just tell you something about the will of God? 2 Peter 3 and 9 says, It is not his will that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. The will of God is that lost people would come to know Jesus Christ. The will of God is that lost people would be reconciled to him. It is so much his will that mankind would be reconciled to him, that he sent Jesus to die so that we could. Now that is an ever-reaching, loving will of God. And it is the will of God that lost people would come to re repentance. Now I want to ask you this this morning. If it is His will for them to be saved, how can it not be our will to tell them? Think about that. If it is His will for them to be saved, how can it not be our will to tell them as much? Now I'm going to tell you, there are some today that believe that God ordained a certain group of people to be saved and there's nothing that can be done about it, they're going to be saved. And that God ordained a certain group of people to go to hell and there's nothing that can be done with it, they're going to go to hell. I'm not here to get on theology very, very far right here, but can I just tell you something? There's many people here that would hear me make that statement and they would vehemently disagree with the theology. They say, oh, there's no way. I can't get on board with that theologically. I cannot believe that. I cannot, I can't get on board with that, Jason, brother Jason. I not. No, 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 no. But can I just tell you something? There are many people here in this house this morning that would vehemently and verbally disagree with that theology, but practically they would live it out. In other words, can I, can I just break it down to the low gravy for you? 
If your theology isn't manifesting itself in your life practically, then it's not theology. It's just intelligence. You can, in, other, in other words, you can know, book, you can have all the book smarts in the world, but if you can't put it into action, it don't do you a bit of good. It's not good enough to know that there is but one name under heaven given by which men are saved. If you don't take that name out and do what God told you to do with it. It's not good enough to say that I believe that it's the will of God that lost people would be saved if you're not going to take and say that I believe that God called me to go out and sow the seed so that lost people could get saved. If it doesn't manifest itself inside of you practically, if you're not doing something with it, then you didn't really get a dose of it. I can't tell you what the will of God is for your life in terms of what job to take, whether to buy or build your next house. I can't tell you where you should go to school. I can't tell you any number of things about your life. But I can tell you this. If you're not sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're outside of the will of God for your life. If you're not telling somebody about Jesus, you're outside of the will of God for your life. Say, well, that's a harsh statement, Brother Jason. It's a true one, though. God didn't call me to make you happy. He called me to tell you what's holy. And holiness says that you will share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, Brother Jason, I don't know that. You know, it's hard for me to do that. I'm going to use the most juvenile example in all of Scripture. I'm going to bet... It wasn't easy for Jesus to take a nail through his hands and feet and hang on a cross for you either. He didn't call you to do what was easy. He called you to sell out your life for him. He said, if you're my child, then you will go out and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He said, I'll go with you, but you got to go, right? He didn't call us to sit back and wait on somebody else to do it. If we have a passion for seeing souls saved, it'll play out in a longing for the Word of God in our lives. It'll be present in the way we look for the will of God in our lives. And can I just tell you this morning, it will cause us to have a passion for the work of God in our lives. There'll be a passion for the work of God in our lives. At the end of verse 34, Jesus shows us a glimpse of something about the work. Finish. The work, right? Finish the work. Now I want to tell you about, about this work. Now we know that, that from a salvation standpoint, I won't be clear because I don't want anybody to misinterpret this. From a salvation standpoint, there's nothing we can add to the work of Christ. The work was finished on Calvary's cross. When he said, it is finished, he meant it is finished. There's nothing that we can add from a salvation standpoint to the cross of Christ, but we can take part in the unfinished work of the Great Commission from Christ. So I can't add anything to help salvation in somebody. I can't save anybody, but I can fulfill the Great Commission, that work that Christ has given us. And that word for work here is, is a Greek word that means agonize. It's called ergon. Agonize. It literally means to labor in a task, to labor in a task. W-O-R-K is not the call sign for a radio station here. Jesus is calling us to labor in agony over a task. It literally means to do something more strenuous than you were doing before. 
I'll use a silly little example. Imagine if you had a riding lawnmower and the belt broke on your riding lawnmower and you couldn't get another one and you had to finish mowing with your pushing lawnmower. You would be ergoning. You would be struggling more strenuously than you did when you had your riding lawnmower, right? We understand that. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, listen, what you're going to do is going to be more agonizing, more strenuous than what you were doing before. He uses the same phrase in Matthew 9 when he says that the harvest is plentiful, but the ergoners, the agonizers, is few. Right? There's plenty of lost people, but the people that will go out and tell them about me has become so few. And basically what Jesus is telling us is the problem isn't the lost world, it's the church. It's not them, it's us. I've been in church long enough to know this. If I put a guilt trip on you, I can get you to do something. I'm going to let you in on a trick that all pastors know. I can guilt you into coming up and praying for somebody. I can guilt you into coming to a Monday night visitation. I can guilt you in to coming and doing any number of things. You know the reason I don't do that? I don't want you to have my passion for anything. Because if it's my passion that you have, guess what happens when you're not with me anymore? You lose my passion. So it would do no good. It would be nothing but an emotional moment, maybe some tears, and we could rally behind it for a few minutes. But it's going to fizzle really quick. What we need on our church in our church today is not just a motivation from the pulpit. It's a motivation from the Word of God, a desire to do the will of God that manifests itself in an outward working for God. That we would have such a desire to do the will of the one who sent us that we would be willing to place it in front of everything else in our lives, even lunch. Even lunch. We need to be so passionate and so motivated by the grace and mercy of Jesus that we cannot stop serving him and telling people about him. As we close this morning, we're going to look at a couple things about these final verses. Sometimes I like to know, we talked about this last night, sometimes I like to know who, what, when, where, why, right? I like to know where we're going. I like to know why we're going there. I like to know what we're going to do when we get there, and I like to know who's going with us. I even like to know how we're going to get there. My driving, you driving, who's driving, what we're driving, how far is it, what's the directions, right? Who's going with us? Do we need to pick somebody up? Do we need to drive a bigger car in case we need to pick somebody else up? When we get there, what are we going to do? Are we going to eat? Do I need to eat before we go? I'm just telling you, I like to know all these things. Here in verses 35 and 36, I believe Jesus answers all these questions for us. He says, behold, I say to, three-letter word, most of you know it, you. Who? Us. You. Jesus is saying you, so he's talking to us, his disciples. That's who. We need to open our eyes and look up and see the harvest, right? So behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, right? In other words, who is us? Where? Everywhere. Right? We don't need to do it four months from now, but we need to do it now. Right? He doesn't say, behold, I say to you next week, lift up your eyes and look to the fields. Behold, I say to you, look up 
at the fields and recognize that the harvest is plentiful. Look out, right? So we're supposed to do it right now, right where we're at. I want to remind you what has happened. Jesus has has shared himself with this Samaritan woman. She's gotten saved and she's taken off. And when she takes off, she's so excited about getting saved that the Word of God says she goes and tells everybody she knows what's happened at the well. And here the disciples are coming, and I believe that Jesus at this time again, my ADHD makes me see things in pictures. And I believe that Jesus says, hey, boys, lift up your eyes to the fields. They're already white for the harvest. And I believe he kind of nods his head because they're in the horizon Coming from the city of Sychar, I believe there's a bunch of Samaritans. And Jesus, I believe, says, listen, guys, we don't need to get to Galilee. I know, what I, I, know I told you that's where we was going. And there's a mission when we get there, but can I tell you something? The harvest is right here, men. Lift up your eyes and look. The harvest is right in front of you. You need to get ready. There's people coming that need to hear about me. So where do we need to look? Right around us. He goes on to tell us why. Because we sow and Jesus reaps. And we all rejoice. Think about that. Think about the most joyous occasion in your life. Now multiply it to make it the joyous occasion of when you sit down with somebody who finally understands the gospel and who says, I want to follow Jesus. What an amazing moment. If I live to be a million, I pray I never get tired of hearing somebody say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Whether it's been my children, your children, or or, or just somebody. I rejoice the same every time. Why? Because Jesus is reaping a harvest. And the word of God says that when he reaps the harvest, both the sower and the reaper get to rejoice. And if you need more motivation than that, let let me just get here. If you need more motivation... And because you want to see lost people saved and you want to rejoice with Jesus over those lost people getting saved, how about this? Do it because Jesus said do it. At a very minimum, obedience should be your desire if you love God. So when will souls get saved? When are people going to get saved, Brother Jason? When we have such a passion for their souls that we stain the tears of this carpet praying for them. When we stain the, the, stain the finish on our kitchen table bowed over praying for them. When we, ergon, when we agonize over them, that's when we've got the passion for lost souls. When we rise up in the morning and say, give me my family for Jesus or take me now. When we want the gospel of Jesus shared more than we even want our next breath. That is when people get saved. It's not good enough to say, I want people to get saved. That's not practical theology, that's desire. Practical theology says, I want to see people get saved, and here's the steps in which it happens, and here's the action that I'm going to take. Same thing with success in anything. How do you succeed? By doing what you want to do long after the desire to do it is past. 
14 days after we named our one and wrote their name on a bookmark, do you still have the same passion for their soul that you did on day one? Good news is if you don't, the passion renews every day. So will you pray for your one? Will you agonize over that lost soul? Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning, Lord, and you've You've given us a message for the church this morning, God. A message that tells us exactly what needs to happen if we want to see people get saved. God, you give us the direction. Father, you tell us if we want to see people get saved, that we'll have a passion to see it happen. Father, we'll be agonizing over their souls. Father, we will work father we'll seek to be obedient to your word your will and your work father that we will look out look up and realize that the harvest is all around us father that God you command us to work father help us to be seed sowers help us to be seed sowers help us to be so burdened by a desire to sow your seeds that we can't enjoy a morsel of food. That we can't find rest, God. That we can't enjoy any of the temporal things of this life until we've shared your word, Lord. And oh God, we will give you the praise and the honor and the glory because we realize that our job is to sow. And oh Father, you reap. Father, we thank you for allowing us to be part of this process. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Please stand. Living for Jesus, a life that is true. Striving to
again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.